Would, would you agree with this statement? And I kind of hope you do because it's my whole sermon. But anyway, <laughs> um, would, would, you, would you agree with this statement? The more, the more skilled you are, usually, the more useful you are. So let me just kind of repeat that again, unpack it. You develop skills, and in life, usually, the more skilled you are, would you agree, the more skilled you are, usually, the more useful you are, home, work, school, neighborhood. Would most of you kind of agree with that? Okay. All right. Good. All right. So you think about this. Those of you that are moms, you want to have a lot of skill being a mom, right? And the more skill you have as a mom, you're able to better love, lead, guide, teach, help, assist. I mean, your, your kids, right? Those of you that are dads in the room, I mean, I wish I knew then what I know now as a dad. I do. I'm a much better dad today, 27 years later, than I was 27 years ago. But the more skills you develop as a father, as a grandfather, usually the more useful you can be to the family. Those of you that are in the medical field, how many nurses do we have out here? The nurses, okay. If I get sick, I want you to be really skilled right? Who wants to go to a surgeon? Hey, are you very good? No, I'm not very good. Okay, good. Sign me up. I'd love to have you work on my heart, okay? Nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants an unskilled medical person. How about a plumber? We got any plumbers in the room? Anybody a plumber in the room? Yep, that's, actually, that's my plumber, all right? That's awesome. That is awesome. That was not planned. He's awesome. All right, so... You want your plumber. I didn't stage that. I really didn't. I'm telling you. You want your plumber to be skilled, right? In fact, if it comes to a moment of weakness between a surgeon and a plumber, I think I'd take the plumber more skilled because I don't want leaky faucets and my house, you know, leaking and, and all that kind of, I like hot water, right? So in life, you learn quickly. In the job force, in school, you learn in life that the more skilled you are, usually the more useful you are. It's absolutely true in the kingdom of God. And what the book of 2 Peter is all about this morning is about skill development. 2 Peter is all about you developing spiritual skills. And the greater your spiritual skills are, and the more you develop your spiritual skills, the more useful you are to everybody and especially to yourself. And so this morning, this is about skill development. Now, the question, though, always comes into play is, do I want to do that? Do I want to develop, like, these spiritual skills? And I'm not trying to be funny, but it's a really good question, because probably some of you in the room have never thought about this before. Some of you have never thought about the fact that that I can actually develop spiritual skills And the more spiritual skills, I can be a better aunt, a better uncle, a better coach, a better teacher, a better plumber, a better nurse, a better surgeon. You you may have never thought about that before. But the Bible talks so much about spiritual skills, and it's all in the book of 2 Peter, so much of it. Some of you in the room, probably honestly, you really don't want to develop spiritual skills. For instance, I have no desire to develop cooking skills. I have zero interest in developing cooking skills. I love to eat, okay? But I have no desire to learn how to cook. 
Danita's a good cook. Eric is an awesome cook. Emily's an awesome cook. Even Ethan can cook. Everybody in my family can cook. I have zero desire to learn to cook. I'm glad that you can and other people can. That's just not one of my skills. So let me ask you the question again. Do you want to pay the price to develop some of these skills? Our Olympians have crushed it this year. Our Olympians are killing everybody. They are just winning more medals. And you watch them, and they make it look so simple, don't they? Some of them make it look so easy. But they are the people who got up at 5 o'clock and got in a cold swimming pool and swam for hours. They are the people who got up and went to the weight room and worked out and worked out and worked out. And while I was eating a bagel or a donut, they were having some kind of spinach smoothie crap, I mean stuff that... (laughs) <laughs> that was a slip right there. Um, woo, that was close right there, baby. Um, they're eating some kind of spinach smoothie that you and I would not eat. All right, let's move on from that, all right? They paid the price. They were willing to pay the price that you and I were not willing to pay. So let me ask this question again. I've lost the entire audience. Would you be willing to pay the price to develop the spiritual skills. Now, what 2 Peter does for us is 2 Peter, he makes a plea and he paints the picture, but he tells us why. He tells us why this is so important. So I'm going to start at 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to do verse 3. I'm going to break down verse 3 for us kind of in, in sections. Here's the first part. It says this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need. That's a huge statement right there. God has given you everything you need. His divine power, because you're a Christian, has given you everything you need. You need for what? Here's the next part, for life and for godliness. His divine power is going to give you everything you need for life. you still got to develop the skill. You still have to have skill development. You still have to develop spiritual skills in your life. But His divine power is going to give you everything you need for life and for godliness. How does it happen? Look at the next verse. It says, always comes through our knowledge of Him. So we learn, we learn, we learn, we grow, we grow, we grow, we learn, we learn, we learn, we grow, we grow, we grow, all through Christ, and we mature in our faith. Here's the whole verse. The whole verse says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and by His own goodness. And so God has this divine power He wants to put inside of you, and He wants to completely transform your life. All right. I want to say something right now that maybe you've heard before, maybe you've ne- probably you've never heard before, but I want to talk about something right now that I think is going to make a lot of sense once I get through with this. So just hang on. I'm going to go around the, the front door to come in, okay? I'm going to go around the barn to come in the front door. So I think salvation's easy. I think salvation's easy. I was 14 years old. It was explained to me like this. You accept Jesus as your Savior, you get to go to heaven. You don't accept Jesus as your Savior, you're going to go to hell. That was easy. That was not a hard decision. That, that was a no-brainer. Salvation not cost God everything. It cost Christ everything. But salvation for you was easy. Right? I mean, you made a commitment. You said, I, I believe Jesus is the Christ. I, I want to give my life to Christ. Salvation was easy. But the other part, though, is called sanctification, 
And sanctification is the part that is not easy. Sanctification is the part then of skill development. Sanctification is the part then where you are set apart. You are set apart for God. You are set apart for Christ. You see, this is what He did for you, but this is what you're going to do for Him. Big difference. This is hard. For anybody to tell you that this side over here, the sanctification part, is easy, they're just flat wrong. It is easy to accept Jesus. He died for me. He gave his life for me. He shed his blood for me. That's great. Now you want me to live the Christian life? Now you want me to forgive her? Now you want me to pray for him? Now you want me to give my money? Now you want me to give my time? Now you expect me to like, you know, like actually be the, the, the Christ person that the Bible talks about? Folks, that is hard. That is incredibly hard. And for anybody to say that that's easy, they're just wrong. It's not easy. But if you don't do this, you won't participate in the divine nature. If you don't develop the skills on this side, then you never participate in the great things that he has in store for you. And so verse 4 says this. Verse 4 talks about, well, I want to show you the picture of these gals first. Let's show you a picture of the gals. Let's do that. They won the 110 meters, didn't they? They crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. They won the relay. They won the 110 meters. Now, can you imagine how hard it was for them to win gold, silver, and bronze? Our girls won all, they, they all three won that one event. Absolutely amazing. And they made it look easy, but they had the skill. They had incredible skills that they developed. Look at verse 4. Here's what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. Just leave that verse up there for just a second. All right, 2 Peter is all about not you becoming a Christian. 2 Peter is, is for Christians how you live the godly life. And 2 Peter is telling you, even though living the godly life is really, really hard, you've got everything you need to live the Christian life. His divine power has given you everything you need. But let's talk about this for just a minute. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to live the Christian life? Why is it so hard to always be in God's will? Why is it so hard to always do the right thing? Why is it so hard to always say the right thing? Why do I react instead of like, like respond? Why is the Christian life so hard? Well, the Christian life is hard because you've got all these storms. And every one of us in this room have storms. We're coming in a storm, we're going out of a storm, or we're in the middle of a storm today. And not only do we have all these storms... We've had all these storms, and all these storms in the past, they came in and they just wrecked our docks and put our boats, you know, turn our boats over, and they have messed us up. And everybody in this room, you've got some storms that you've caused, and it messes with you. And you've got some storms that you had nothing to do with. You were a complete innocent victim, and it messes with you. And so I thought, well, what's a prop that I could show today that helps us to understand why we struggle not with accepting Jesus, but always living this sanctified life is what the Bible calls it. Why is that so hard? So I came up with a depth finder. I came up with a depth finder. And if you've ridden a boat or driven a boat or have a boat, you'll see a depth finder. Let me show you a picture of a depth finder. 
And so you'll see this is what the depth finder does. The depth finder shows you what's below the surface. If you're in a boat and you're on top of the water and you're looking at the wonderful blue sky and you see, you know, the clouds and you see the birds flying and it's just a wonderful kumbaya moment, right? But below, below there, you've got some stuff going on. And all of us in this room, look at the next picture, we have at least one shipwreck. There's something below our surface. There's something in our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotion. We got the signature sins. Could be greed, could be lust, could be insecurity, could be anxiety, could could be a, a number of a dozen things. But all of us have this in our life. And so what 2 Peter is saying is, look, I've come to help you with this. My divine power is bigger than your storm. My divine power, whatever your signature issues are, is bigger and stronger than your shipwreck. And so he says, through these, he has given us his very great and his precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Now, I want to say this politely, but a whole lot of people accept salvation, but they don't accept the participation in the divine nature. I think that's rude to God. I just think that's rude. I think that's rude that that we accept salvation, but we're like, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the nails. Thank you for the crown of thorns. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did. But I'm going to live my life kind of the way I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to live my life kind of the way that I want to do it. I think that's rude because he's given us his divine nature so that every day with your friends, with your family, in your community, in your schools, in your whatever, you have the opportunity to have Christ in you, the hope of glory, shining through you. So all that's great, but, but how do we get there? Look at verse 5. How do we get there? He says this. Well, here's the strategy. Here's your strategy on how you develop spiritual skills. Here it is. It's clear as a bell. There's no secret to it. It's not a mystery. Here's the the way we develop the spiritual skills so that we can participate in the divine nature. So here's what we do. First of all, we start with our faith, but we add to it. And we're constantly trying to grow our faith. So we add to our faith goodness. We take our goodness, whatever that means, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Our goodness, we add to our goodness, and we add to our to knowledge. Maybe it's a connect group. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're on your app, but you add goodness, godliness. Okay, so now we add knowledge. We add self-control. We add perseverance. We add godliness. We add mutual affection, and we add love. And what he's saying is this is not like linear. These are circular We're constantly working on these eight different qualities. And if we work on these qualities, we will... Well, look at what it says in the next verse. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Now, isn't that our gift back to God? I mean, God's gift to us was the cross, eternal life. It was salvation. But isn't our gift back to God like being effective and our gift back to God, participate in the divine nature. That's what we do, folks. That's who we are. And you're not trying to like make it happen and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. His divine power has given you everything you need for life 
and for godliness. It's not like you've got to figure this out. He's given it to you. But we work on these things, and we possess them, and we grow with them, and we keep developing these spiritual skills. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Nobody wants to be ineffective. Nobody in the room wants to be unproductive. This is a group full of winners. You're hardworking, industrious people. You want to be effective. Second Peter tells us how to do that. And it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. He says this. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. I, I think this is easy. I think coming to Christ is really easy. It was a no-brainer for me. This over here, whew, this is hard. Because you're working with people every day, right? They don't always cooperate the way you think they should, right? My life would be great if everybody just did what I thought they should do. My life would be wonderful. Yours would too, right? So I want to read these verses again together as a collective whole. I just want you to see them all together, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read them together. Here I go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort. For this very reason, because of all this, make every effort. Say it with me. Make every effort. Say it again. Make every effort. This is the point. This is what you have to do. You have to develop these skills. you got to get out up early, jump in that cold water of the pool like those lady swimmers do every day, and swim your heart out. You have to get up and do the things that will cause you to have increased skills. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. And to godliness, this mutual affection, we're family, and to mutual affection, you, you add love. And then verse 8 says this, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an opportunity you and I have. And verse 10 that we haven't read yet says this, verse 10 says this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Let's hold on to that verse for just a second, Deb. You see, every one of you in this room, you have gifts and you have talents. You have a calling and you have an election for the king. Oh, the king was thrilled to save you, thrilled to save you. Couldn't wait to save you from your sins. But the king is just saying, come on, come on, play with me. Let's work together. Let's make a difference together. And you have a calling, and you have an election, and you have great skills. What are the talents and skills that God has given to you? Those are the things that you use inside of the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes he calls you to use your gifts to, use, to help somebody, really when it may not even be your gift. Let me tell you a real quick story. I was at the dry cleaners about a month ago. I'm inside the dry cleaners. And that one of the co-workers said to, to me, as I'm getting my, my shirts, she said, look, it's so-and-so. She said she can't get her car started. But I look back, you know, hood's up, 
poor gal's pregnant. She's leaning over this thing. It's hotter than all get out outside. I look at it, and I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't have a clue what's wrong with the car, you know? If it doesn't start, I don't know what to say or do. So the Holy Spirit's going, yeah, but she needs some help. I'm going, yeah, but God, those aren't my gifts. Those aren't my talents. I'm not good at this. And I kept feeling like the Holy Spirit saying, go out there and just at least maybe give the girl a cup of water or something. So I went out there, and I could see the corrosion on the battery cables. I knew what to do. We got the car started. I have absolutely, that's probably the only thing I can do my entire life with a car, okay? My, my point is this. Sometimes you're just at the right place to help somebody, and it may not be your gifts. But you have gifts and talents that you know He's called you to do. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Verse 11 says, And then you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, I have absolutely loved the Olympics. I have. And there is, there is one picture that I think just kind of puts it all into perspective of the Olympics this year. Look at this. <laughs> the other guy's looking at Michael Phelps, and he's going, I don't have a prayer, man. I, I'm, I'm not going to catch the brother. He's he, way ahead of me. And so we love the story of Michael Phelps. He's won more medals than anybody else. He's won more medals than some countries have, okay? He's, he's an amazing athlete. But um, two years ago, he's in rehab. Two years ago, he's struggling in rehab. And so Michael Phelps uh, retires in London, decides to go out of London. He's done. And then Michael Phelps finds himself, gets arrested for the first time with a DUI. He's in a casino in Maryland. His blood alcohol is twice the legal limit. He's arrested for a second time. He goes to jail. Michael Phelps goes to jail. He is arrested. Meanwhile, there's a pro football player who's now retired named Ray Lewis. And Ray Lewis from the Baltimore uh, Ravens, he's had his own issues. Ray Lewis had something going on in the year 2000 outside the Atlanta courtroom and and they all plea bargained, and nobody really knows what Ray Lewis got himself into, and I'm not going to speak to it. But at that moment in 2000, Ray Lewis got back in touch with his roots of his faith from childhood. And Ray Lewis began at that moment to be an outspoken Christian professing Jesus and the Christian values. Well, two years ago, Ray Lewis and Michael Phelps meet and Ray Lewis is telling Michael Phelps, dude, you got to go to rehab. Didn't you just hear Ray Lewis say this? Dude, you got to go to rehab. And he said, you got to go to rehab. And second thing you got to do is you got to get a copy. I'm going to give you a copy set of The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And you got to read the book. Dude, read the book. I'm telling you, read the book. You can just see Ray Lewis just kind of poking his finger in Michael Phelps' chest. Michael Phelps goes to rehab. He starts calling Ray Lewis. Now, you won't believe these pages. This is my life. Because he said, two years ago, my life was a train wreck. Two years ago, I was a ticking time bomb. Two years ago, my life was an elevator going down. And he said to Ray Lewis, two years ago, I didn't even want to live. I felt so insecure. I'd lost my purpose in life. And here he is reading The Purpose Driven Life. And there, Rick Warren's just talking about Christ, God, and your purpose, how God has a plan for your life. And he keeps calling Ray Lewis saying, man, you wouldn't believe page so-and-so. And Ray Lewis is going, yeah, I would. I've read the book. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. 
It comes about the sixth chapter where it talks about how you have to reconcile your life with God through his son, Jesus. And Ray Lewis helps Michael Phelps reconcile his life with God through Jesus Christ. Amazing story. It continues. Part of the rehab process, though, is what has caused you so much pain in your life What's that shipwreck in your life that you just can't seem to deal with? And Michael Phelps said, my dad. My mom and dad divorced when I was nine. My dad's been an absentee father ever since then. And they said, well, we got to call him, and he's got to come to therapy. And Michael Phelps goes, I'm in Arizona in therapy. He's a state trooper in Maryland. He's not coming. you got to call him. I'm not calling him. you got to call him. He won't come. you got to call him. He calls him, and he comes. He comes. And they sit down, and again, they work through this process of reconciliation. And Michael Phelps has said, I want to spend the rest of my life having a real platform, not swimming. (laughs) I got a calling and an election. I want to spend the rest of my life with things that are really, really important. It's a great story. He worked through his storms. He worked through his spiritual storm. He worked through some relational storms. And he's growing and growing and growing in his faith. What's your storm this morning? What's the shipwreck that's still underneath there just collecting all that barnacle and algae? What what, what is it deep down within you that you're still struggling with?